that being said, turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Go to the book of Ephesians. We're starting a new series today, calling it Everyday Miracles. Everyday Miracles. Pastor Drew, why are they called Everyday Miracles? Are they, are they common? Are they normal or are they minor or are they mundane? Well, here's the thing about miracles. They're not minor. They're not mundane. And I would even venture to say to most of us in the room, they're not common. But let me go a step further and tell you that they should be common. That that miracles should be expected and experienced as followers of Christ with great frequency. And so today, uh, we're going to dive into this series. We're going we're gonna to talk about miracles. A miracle, in case you kind of want to know what my working definition for miracles are uh, for this series, it's a divine act by which God intervenes among and reveals himself to people. When God, or a divine act by which God intervenes among and reveals himself to to people. And you know, I've caught all the green lights on the turnpike a few times, and I felt like it was a miracle. I've gotten the closest parking spot to, yeah, come on. And I'm not going to say it's not a miracle, but I'm going to say, listen, we got to raise the bar. We got to raise the level of expectation. You know, you cannot out expect God. You can't exaggerate his goodness. You can't make him sound better than he is. You can't come up with a scenario to which he goes, myself, I don't know what I'm going to do with that. You can't do it. So I think we've got to raise the bar, okay? Uh, I love hitting green lights. I love when I get a parking spot close to the outback. I love it when my kids sleep through the night without coming in saying, Mommy, uh, they never come in and say, Daddy, because I go, what? Uh, it's a true story. I tell them it's not because I'm angry, it's because I'm slightly unconscious. Um, But anyway, we're going to talk about miracles. um, And so next week, I'm trying to get my thoughts straight. Next week, we're going to talk about miracles of healing. And I I want to make something very clear from the forefront. We're not just going to talk about miracles. We're going to expect them. We're going to anticipate them. We're going to prepare for them. And when they occur, we're going to be like, you know, God, you did it. I knew you were going to do it. Thank you. And then we're going to expect more. And we're going to expect greater. We're going to believe God for, for continual supernatural activity among his body. Amen? Come on, I think that's worth praising the Lord. And so next week, we're talking about miracles of healing. So if you, I'm telling you, listen, if you've got a friend who lives in Pennsylvania and they are sick in body with something that they have not been able to get over, doctors haven't been able to treat, listen, I know this may sound extreme, this may sound radical, but I'm telling you, call them up. Say, listen, you need to come to Tennessee. Everybody else is. You might as well too, right? You need to come to Tennessee. Come on, somebody. You need to fly over here from California like every other person on there. I'm just, hey. Come on, listen, I, I love it. Y'all, y'all complain about everybody moving. I'm saying, come on, God, bring, bring, bring your people. Come on, let's get together. Let's see a move of God in this land. Anyway, all that to say, you get them here next Sunday. You be here next Sunday believing for healing. You might say, Pastor Drew, what if, what if they don't get healed? What if I don't get healed? 
What if they do? Come on, let's just go ahead and believe in faith right now in the name of Jesus that sickness will be healed, that, that, that people who suffer from migraines will be healed, diabetes will be healed. In Jesus' name, cancer will, will be healed. Can I tell you right now, for God to heal a headache or God to heal cancer, it, it, it's, not, it's not like it's harder for him. He can do it. He has done it. And I believe in Jesus' name, he will do it. The week after that, we're going to talk about miracles of protection, where God supernaturally protects us from harm. The week after that, we're going to talk about miracles of provision. Now, when we talk about provision, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now, in case you just want to skip um, that Sunday, the last Sunday of the month, we're going to talk about tithing. You say, well, Pastor Drew, that's not a, that's not a miracle. I don't, I don't, I said, well, it's because you've never done it. And it's, and, it's, and it's because you've never seen how God can do more with your 90% than you can do with your 100%. Today, we're going to talk about everybody's favorite weird topic, demons and deliverance. Listen, and I want to tell you something up, off the front end right here. This is nothing to be afraid of. This is nothing to cower at. This is... We've, we've got so much Hollywood trying to infiltrate our, our theology that, that we've adopted this mentality of fear and, and craziness. And that's not to say that there aren't po- like some depictions of truth. But at the end of the day, if you, are a, if you belong to Jesus, the devil is under your feet. You don't have to be in, in fear. What you do need to do is begin to assume the mantle of the God-given authority that's been given to you because of the finished work of Christ so that you, as a person who walks in the light, can cast out the darkness in your own life and wherever else you go. I didn't even start preaching, but I'm preaching. First service went long, y'all, so just go ahead and hold on. Ephesians 6.12. Let's stand for the reading of the Word. Just one verse today. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't fight against people. That's what Paul is telling us as he told the church at Ephesus. Our battle is not with that person on Facebook. Our battle is not with that person who cut us off in traffic. Our battle is not with who sits in the Oval Office or who rules China. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers. And that's not human rulers. That is referring to demonic spirits that rule supernaturally. You say, well, I can't see it. Well, that's because you're only seeing naturally. I, can't, I don't understand it. That's because you're trying to understand with human intellect and see with human eyes. You've got to be in the spirit as he's in the spirit. wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. I feel like our world's living in a little bit of a present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Pastor Drew, I don't know, this is, this is kind of weird. Well, I mean, 
we follow a man. We call a man named Jesus God, a man who 2,000 years ago became human, put on flesh, lived for 33 and a half years approximately, was betrayed by one of his best friends, crucified on a Roman cross, buried in a borrowed grave, rose from the dead, appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses for 40 days, ascended into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for the saints. Come on, let's just be weird for a moment. Let's just go all in with the weird. If you're going to try to normalize this, if you're going to try to tame this faith, you're going to find out quick, fast, in a hurry that you cannot put in a box what God is trying to open up for us to understand. So, yeah, it's weird to talk about the demonic. It's weird to talk about deliverance. But the only reason why it's weird is because we've been afraid of it and we haven't approached it because we're too worried about offending somebody's uh, sensibilities. But we have to be faithful to the whole counsel of God. And, and, and even more so than that, there are people in this world, and I dare say, I'm sure of it, in fact, that there are people in this room who are, who are afflicted of the devil, who are either under a demonic oppression and possibly under demonic possession, who need to hear the truth so that they can be delivered and walk in the fullness of the freedom that Jesus has for them. But I want to tell you, this is nothing to treat lightly, but at the same time, it's nothing to be afraid of. It's nothing to be worried about. It's nothing to be fearful of. Listen, even if something happens today during this time we gather where someone is receiving deliverance in a dramatic way, you don't have to be worried. You don't have to be afraid. You have power by the blood of Jesus, man. Come on. So, Father, we love you. We praise you. We honor you. And as we take this moment to dive into your word and to hear from you, I pray, God, that you will help me to step aside so that you can speak with clarity, with authority, and with power. In Jesus' name we pray it. And life I said, amen. 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 One more time, let's give the Lord praise in the house today. So a demon, you don't hear that word enough, right? A demon, or even the devil, is a fallen angel. In Isaiah 14, we are given the account when Lucifer rebels against God. He makes what's called the five I will statements. And to the best of our understanding, this happened long before creation as we see it and know it even existed. And essentially, Lucifer was a, an angel in heaven. He was one of the archangels. He was, uh, we kind of refer to him as sort of the worship leader of heaven, right? is the one who led the praises to God. And apparently what happened in eons and eternity past is that he got tired of directing his worship to someone else, to someone greater. And he decided that he should be the one who should be worshipped. And he said to himself, I will ascend the mountain of God. I will ascend to the throne of God. And I will be like the Most High. And in the process of doing that, we learn in Revelation 12 that he took with him, as he was cast out of heaven, uh, he took with him at least one-third of all other angels in heaven. So you, there is one devil, but there are many demons. And, and, and a demon is not the spirit of a dead person. Uh, I just want to do some teaching just to kind of address some sort of misunderstandings that, that people have. Again, because we, we've 
embraced the theology of movies more than we have the word of the Lord. Um, things on Discovery Channel or, or I don't know. But when, when, when your great uncle died, he didn't become a demon. I mean, you, he might have been a demon while he was living in your mind's eye, but he didn't, he didn't die and become a, a dead spirit. He didn't become a ghost. Um, I'd I, I go ahead and tell you right now, my, my firm belief, and I won't waver on this, is anything that they try to tell us is from aliens, that's just demonic activity trying to fool us, uh, as well as the government trying to fool us, but that's neither here nor there. I'm not here today for that. Uh, I got a bigger agenda than that agenda. Um, but we, we learn in Revelation 12 that one-third of the angels became demons, and, and so they, they exist. They're, they're real. They're here. Again, I want to reemphasize to you, but we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be worried. We don't have to worry about what's lying in the dark room. Listen, we have power in the name of Jesus, right? We've been redeemed from the curse of the law. We've been set free by the blood of Christ, and we have power over darkness. Uh, another thing that I just want to just, I just got to throw this in there because... You just need to know this, and I don't want to offend, I don't want to hurt feelings, but I feel like this is said a lot by well-meaning Christians that you just, you're taking your theology from Jimmy Stewart and It's a Wonderful Life and not from the Word of God. And it's this, is that when people die, good people, Christian people, people who follow Jesus, they don't become angels. They don't get wings, even when bells do ring, Okay. I mean, I love It's a Wonderful Life. It's a great movie, but it's a movie. It's not real. It's not theology. When, when, when men and women who are, have been saved by Jesus die, they go to be in the presence of the Lord. And, and, and I don't want to hurt your feelings again, but let me, just, let me just point something out. If you have the opportunity to enjoy heaven and be with Jesus or to spy on your granddaughter or your grandson or your daughter after you've passed away, what are you, what you going to do? I, I love you. I, I, I honor you. I know that, that you know, when people die, we want to think that they're watching over us. And, and that's not to say Hebrews does tells us that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So there is some possibility of, of that. But their afterlife is not consumed with you. Their afterlife is consumed with him. Their, 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 their new life is in Christ, right? They're consumed with him. They didn't become angels. And the reason why they didn't become angels is because that would be a downgrade. Because angels were created by God, not in his image, not in his likeness, but to serve him. Humans were created by God in his image and in his likeness to be with him. Come on, we got a better deal than they do. When you read about angels in scripture, you read that they were sent by God to serve, to minister, or to give a message to someone. And, and so we, we, if we were to become angels, that would literally be a downgrade from who we are and what we are. Because we were not created to serve him, we were created to be with him. And so if angels are ministering spirits, I like to refer to demons as miserable spirits. And they are. And, and, and what is the one thing we all know about misery? It loves company, right? And so as we, as we talk about uh, the demonic and as we talk about deliverance, uh, there's two mistakes that I want to address as well that we can all very easily make if we're not careful. And the first one is that we can kind of get obsessed with this. Because it's... I don't even... 
like going down this road. But I'm afraid sometimes we can actually kind of think this is cool. Can I just tell you, though, it's not. It's, it's, it's awful. Uh, and so what happens is some people begin to overemphasize demonic activity. And so they kind of live with this idea that there's a demon behind every bush. The devil's out to get me. No, you're just an idiot. You messed up. You, you were driving to work yesterday, and you got a flat tire, and you said, the devil, the devil done gave me a flat tire. But you've been riding on slicks for six months. Like, you're just cheap and lazy. So that's why you got a flat, right? You know, I, the, the, the devil made me eat the brownie. No, you just can't say no to a brownie. You know, the devil made me buy it. No, you just wanted it. Like, um... And so what happens with that, though, is we begin to see the devil in everything when, in reality, we're probably overemphasizing and we're, get, and I, we're almost giving them a little too much credit, right? And, and the, other, the other mistake we can make is that we can underemphasize demonic activity or demonic influence. And this is probably the, the area that most Christians in the United States make today. Yeah. And one of the sneakiest tricks of the devil is... That he has convinced the world that he doesn't exist. Although, I would, I would point out to you that the world knows there's demonic spirits. Just look at the movies. Just, and, and, and they make money off of it. Because people are intrigued by it. People are interested in it. They go and they try to be, they want to be scared. And can I just tell you, like, as, you know, Paul says a couple of times, this is from me and not from the Lord. This is one of those moments. This is from Drew. This is not from the Lord. But maybe it is from the Lord for you. Uh, we don't, and I don't, we don't watch demonic stuff in our homes. It's not entertaining. Because it's depicting people who are undergoing the most terrible form of suffering. And I would even submit to you that you are inviting that into your home as you invite that into your mind into your children's lives, and into your life. And so I know it's entertaining, or it can be entertaining, but if you begin to understand it for what it is, it's not entertaining at all. It's despicable, it's sad, and it's horrible that people make profit off of it. Off the box, off the soapbox. So, so here's the thing. The devil doesn't cause every problem you have. But it's very possible that he is behind more issues that you deal with and that you see than you realize. And so what, what, what do demons do? What does the devil do? Well, three thoughts here. And if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these down. Uh, number one, demons tempt you to sin. Demons tempt you to sin. Well, if the essence of sin is to say and then to participate in a thought or activity that says, I know more than God knows. That's the essence of sin. I know God said this, but I'm smarter than him, so I'm going to do it anyway. You wouldn't say that, but that's what your actions say. And so demons tempt you to sin. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy, and he says, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Well, what is the truth? The truth is the way that God has called us to live our lives. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth or the, the gospel of Jesus. It says, perhaps God will change those people's hearts because only God can change a heart. Amen? 
and then they will learn the truth. Verse 26, then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. And so demonic spirits, and, and, and I want you to understand that even in your life as a Christian, you might be dealing with these issues more than you realize. You might be dealing with the, the, the demonic more than you realize. But remember, he doesn't want you to know it because if you know it, then you might do something about it. So he hides and he's subtle. And so what they do is, is over time and through your life and through different things, they begin to convince you of their lives. They, they convince you that, that of these, these subtle lies so that, so that when you're tempted with something that you know is wrong, you would say to yourself, you know, I've had a hard week or I've, I've had a tough month or it's been a long time since. And then you fill in the blank with this thing that you know you shouldn't do but you really want to do and now you're making an excuse of why you should get to do it so you do it. And it looks like things, very simple things. Things like, you know, I can watch this. I can smoke this. I can drink this. I can take this. I can, can I take it a step further? I know we're not married, but we can still sleep together because we're going to get married. Or I know, I know she's not my wife, but you know, my wife hasn't really paid attention to me in a long time and I'm lonely and I'm craving some companionship. Or, I know he's not my husband, but my husband's been working long hours, and, and, and my coworker is, is giving me this attention, and, and I, I like it. And, and even though I know it's wrong, they won't find out. Nobody's going to get hurt. It's not a big deal. And, and then we say things like, I, I'm doing better than most people. You know, you know uh, Jim, Jimmy over there, you know, he, he's, he, his, he destroyed his family. I'm not going to do that. That's not going to happen to me. I'm better, than, I'm better than he is. I'm better than she is. I'm not that bad. I'm okay. I'm doing all right. I won't get caught. I'm not hurting anyone. And then as that sin begins to destroy your life, and it will. Because sin is sneaky, right? It always looks good on the surface. It's like, you know, we used to play this game when I was a youth pastor. We would have all the kids come in, and we would have a, a, a caramel apple eating contest, right? And we would give them these caramel apples, and we would say, all right, the first one that could finish eating all the caramel apples gets a $5 bill. It was a long time ago. $5 was a lot more money then. And so they'd start eating the caramel apples, which looked all great on the outside, but as soon as they took a bite into them, they realized they were caramel onions. And that's exactly what sin looks like on a cosmic scale. From the exterior, it looks normal. It looks okay. And especially when you live in a world where everybody else is doing it. Why can't I do it? Why can't I drink it? Why can't I smoke it? Why can't I take it? Why can't I sleep with it? And God says, it's a trap. It's a trap that when you fall into it, it clamps on you and it holds you. We think that sin is just something that we do and God gets mad at us. No, 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 no. Sin is something that you do that destroys you. And God sent his son to rescue you from that destruction. 
Demons tempt you to sin. And when you fall into it, eventually you'll get to that place where you'll say, you know what, I've messed up. God doesn't love me anymore. Again, that's not from the Lord. That's not from the Father. That's from that influence that you've submitted yourself to. God doesn't love me. God can't use me. I've ruined my life. The good news, if you are in sin today, God does love you. God can use you. And while you have done things to you in your life, Jesus is better than your worst day. He's so much better at giving grace than I am sinning. And so today, if you're living in sin, like, and you know it. What's the sin, Pastor Drew? Oh, or, or you might even say, is this a sin? You know, fill in the blank with your, you know, sin of choice, whatever it may be. I would submit to you, the first thought is, if you have to ask, it probably is. And, I, and let me say it like this as well. There are some things that for me are sinful that for you may not be. Because the Lord, through his Holy Spirit, has put them in my conscience, and I know that I can't do it, can't say it, shouldn't go there, shouldn't, whatever it may be. But for you, maybe it's not sin, and that's okay. But if you're asking yourself, if you're asking your pastor, if you're asking your friends, is it a sin for me too? What you're doing is you've already felt the conviction from the Holy Spirit. You know you shouldn't do it, but you're trying to find somebody else out there that says, oh, it's okay, go on ahead. Nobody's going to notice. And it's not because God doesn't want you to have fun. It's because he loves you and he cares for you. I feel, I, I didn't go into this first service, and I just feel really led of the Holy Spirit to, to emphasize to you sexual sins. Whether it be pornography, whether it be illicit relationships, sex before marriage. I'm not sure if there's many things in the world of sin that have the potential to cause more pain and more damage than sexual sins. The Word actually tells us that sexual sins are not just sins against God. They're actually sins against our own body. And I just want to encourage you today, if you are in sexual sin, and we're going to pray at the end of this service, we're going to pray for freedom. And I'm just going to take my time. I hope you're okay with that. We're going to pray for freedom, but if you are in the middle of sexual sin, whether it be a pornography addiction, whether it be uh, relationships that shouldn't exist, or uh, where innocence has been uh, divulged too early on, number one, I want you to remember that there's forgiveness, there's grace, and you don't have to walk in condemnation. condemnation. But number two, I want you to make a decision to say, you know, no more. No more of this. I'm getting out of this. All right. So demons tempt us to sin. Number two, demons distract us from God's will. Paul writes in his first letter to Timothy, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times... All right, we'll stop right there. What are the last times? It's any time since Jesus ascended into heaven. <clears throat> Those are the last times. He says in the last times, some will turn away from true faith. Now, if Paul is making a statement that includes the words true faith... That leads me to believe that there must be a such thing as false faith, right? And there's a lot of false faith going on in our world and even in our churches today. He said some will turn away from true faith to false faith. They will follow deceptive spirits, things that sound good, but they are not true. They are not true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. 
demons. Remember, the, the goal of the devil is not to let you know that he overtly exists and wants to ruin your life. The goal of the devil is to deceptively slip into your life and little by little chip away at what you know to be truth faith and what you know to be right and what you know to be godly until 10 or 20 years pass by and you look back and you see how far you have fallen away from the life that God truly has for you. It's like eating a caramel covered onion right those first few bites are delicious but the deeper you get the worse it tastes sin will always take you further and cost you more than you ever intended for it to do deceptive spirits like all roads lead to God I can I can have faith in an idol God I can have my Hindu faith and and but I can have my Muslim faith I can have my whatever faith and I know that you know I'm just gonna be a good person I'm just gonna try to do the right thing and treat people right and I know that you know when I die I'm gonna be taken care of no Jesus says himself that he's the only way to the Father that if you want to have eternal life it's only through him and that and and, and then you might even say a little bit more deceptively in the churches today you know no I, I was hurt by the church so I don't really go to church anymore because because people hurt me. And I want to ask those people all the time, well, how many people did you hurt? You over there pointing the finger at everybody else, but when did you take time to look in the mirror and ask yourself, what damage have I done? And here's the thing about humans. We will hurt each other. We will, we will cause offense. Listen, if you've known me for more than five minutes, I have offended you. I'm sure of it. I've offended myself. That's why we walk in grace with one another. We give each other the benefit of the doubt. We forgive. We forgive as Jesus forgave. You might say, well, Pastor Joe, you don't know what they did to me. Well, I know what you did to Jesus. And I know what I did to Jesus. I put the nails in his hands. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, forsake not the assembling together of yourselves. That's why we we need to gather, not just so we can sing songs and listen to preaching. You can do that on your phone. I get that. But there's something supernatural that happens when we gather. There's something powerful that happens when the body of Christ gets together, encourages one another, shakes hands, fellowships, prays with one another. And we all listen, we all grow, we all worship, we all pray together. There's power in that. So many lies prevalent in our culture today. They're, de- they're deceptive. They're demonic. They look to some so good on the surface because they sound good. Well, abortion's not murder. That's just health care. Homosexual marriage is not only okay, but it should be celebrated. Now, I know I've just I've dipped my toe off in the deep end. I get it, but let, let's either address it or just close the Bible, go home, and figure it out for ourselves. We live in a world today where Children are encouraged to decide their own gender. 
And not even to make light of it, but even to sometimes decide their own species. And if you don't think that's demonic, then you don't have a brain. Maybe we could take those lies a little bit more personal. I've already addressed some of these, but maybe the lies that you've heard, or I can still be a good husband even if I watch porn. My wife's okay with it. I can, I can be a good wife if I flirt with my coworkers. My husband's distant anyway. Let's get even more basic. I can, I can be a good Christian and not read my Bible. I don't really understand what it says anyway. Just like you don't understand how carbohydrates, fat, and protein synthesizes in your body to build muscle and keep your organs healthy. So that's why you don't eat food anymore. <laughs> I don't understand how it works. I'm just not going to eat it. I'm going to preach a sermon series one day called Stupid Things Christians Say. I mean, we live in a world that is inundated with deception, with lies, and destructive demonic activity. Which is why we cannot hide from this. We cannot run from this. We cannot... We, we, and, and remember what Paul said in the very beginning. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the people. It, it, even, even the people that have authority, they're not the enemy, but the things that are influencing them, the demonic powers that influence them, those are our enemies. And the way we win those battles is, number one, by knowing truth. Uh, and the, I can't remember what book it is. I want to say Nehemiah. The, the people of God perish because they don't have any knowledge, because they don't know the truth. The truth is, is, is something that we all need to learn for ourselves. And I want to encourage you as men and women of God, don't just take my word for what the Bible says. Learn it. Read it for yourself. You need it. It is spiritual bread for your soul. It will strengthen you. It will teach you. And even when you do not understand what it says, there are things happening in the Spirit that are making you stronger, that are building you up. And the Holy Spirit is doing things inside of you that in moments of trial or tribulation or temptation, there is some foundation within you because you have been in the Word of God. You have been with the people of God. And you have enjoyed the presence of God. say it like this. Sin, even if it's a sin you like. You know, in the church, the two only acceptable sins are gossip and gluttony, right? You want me to go there? Let's go there for a second. Oh, I'm not gossiping. I'm just sharing a prayer request. No, you're a demon. I don't care if you came to prayer group. You're a demon. Right? You're full of the devil, not the Holy Spirit. I, I mean, I know it seems funny, but I'm serious. Oh, I'm... Okay. I'd say sin's not your friend. Whether it's one you like or one you don't like. And what we like to do is like, I can talk about the sins that I don't like all day, every day. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I can go off on all those people. But you start messing with the stuff that I do behind closed doors that you don't know about, well, now I'm offended. 
Oh, there's somebody in my life I love. I, I know that about them. And you can't talk about them that way. I'm not talking about them, but I am talking about the demonic influence in their life that's destroying them. Okay. Y'all okay? Holly, are you okay? Okay. As long as Holly's good, I'm good. Demons, demonic spirits, they tempt us to sin. They distract us from God's will. Because God's got a plan for your life, a purpose for your life. But if you continually submit yourself to the God of sin, that plan will never come into fruition. Number three, demons inflict suffering. Because misery loves company. In Matthew 17, there's this story where this man comes to Jesus and he says here in verse 15, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and he suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water because obviously something's trying to kill him. This is such a great example of what sin really does to us. What, what demonic influence does to us. What demonic possession could do to us. Verse 17, he says, bring the boy here to me. And in verse 18, then Jesus rebuked the demon in the boy and it left him. From that moment on, the boy was well. You need to know that Satan has a mission statement. If he, in his office, it is on his wall in a big, bold font. He says, I exist to steal, to kill, and to destroy and, and, and so, so that's what he wants to do in your life. You might say, well, I'm a blood-bought blood believer in Jesus Christ. Well, he still is trying to still kill and destroy everything good in your life. And if he can't keep you from heaven, he'll do everything he can to make hell for you here on earth. And so, so what we learn and what we understand as we continue to, to study the scriptures, and I want you to listen to my words very carefully, that demons and demonic activity can be Notice the phrase, can be at least partly responsible for depression, for suicidal thoughts, for anxiety, insecurity, and even physical and mental illness. And it even could be the product of sin where through sin, not even your own sin. Now we could really, we could really open up a can of worms here and start talking about generational curses. Because listen, moms and dads, the things that you do, the things that you allow into your life, into your home, don't you think that that doesn't affect your kids even if they don't see it firsthand themselves? Demons want to ruin your marriage. They want to uh, just decimate your family. They want to destroy your testimony. They want to keep you from doing ministry. They want to wreck your finances. They want to steal your joy, and they want to rob your health. We've got to stop playing games with this stuff because this isn't a game. This isn't a little red devil with a pitchfork. This is evil incarnate. This is worse than any movie you've ever seen, any book you've ever read. This is worse than, than any illustration that you've ever saw. This is evil incarnate that wants to destroy everything good you have. And so today, if you are living in sin or if you have allowed demonic activity or even if you suspect that there's demonic influence in your life, today, number one, ask Jesus, Lord, forgive me of my sin. And don't just ask him to forgive you, but 
but tell him, Lord, I repent. Repent is a, is a word that literally means that I turn away from what I was doing and I turn to the one who has freed me from it. God, today I repent of my sin and then free me from the hold, the clutches of that sin, from that demonic activity. And I promise you, because of Jesus' mission statement, which says in John 10, 10, the same verse where Satan is, is, has his at, it says in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life abundantly. And because of his mission statement, because of what he said on the cross, if you will repent, if you will ask for forgiveness, and you will ask him for freedom, he will free you, not just from the sin that you are entangled in right now, but he will free you so that you can help others get free. And that's his statement, right? He says, I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly. In the Greek, there's two words for life that we could use. There's the word bios, right? And bios, in case you can't figure it out, it's where we get our word biology from. And that just means to be physically alive. You know, a tree can be bios. A human can be bios, right? Um, you know, mold in the attic is bios. Uh, all the things like that, right? But the word that is used there in John 10, 10, it's not the word bios. It is zoe, which means life to the full, life overflowing. It's the kind of life you feel when your firstborn child takes their first steps and you feel like your heart is swelling up inside of you and you cannot contain the love that you feel in that moment. It's that kind of life that you feel when you see some answered prayer come into fruition in your life and you feel overjoyed. It's that kind of life that you feel when, when you see and sense God's blessings in your life and you see people that you love the most succeeding and being blessed. That's the kind of life that Jesus wants to give us. And and the temptation is to think that the only life in Christ we can have is the bios life. To get through Monday, to get to Friday, to, to make it have fun on Saturday, to go to church for a few hours, a lot of hours if you go to Lifehouse on Sunday. <laughs> and then to do it all over again on Monday. But the plan of God for your life is greater. It is bigger. It is more abundant than anything you could ever think for, ask for, or imagine. And that's what God wants to give you. But you cannot have that kind of life. If you are entertaining sin, if you are entertaining demonic influences in your life, and you say, oh, it's not demonic. Listen, if it's sin, it's demonic. If it contradicts the word of God, if it grieves the Holy Spirit that's been given to you, it's demonic. It wants to steal, kill and destroy and it even if it looks good on the outside has not come to give you life but to give you death and death to the full okay because of what Jesus has done we've been given authority you guys okay I got, I got a little bit of sermon left. But this is teaching that you need to hear and you need to know. If you are in Christ, you have been given authority over the powers of evil in the name of Jesus. Paul tells the church at Corinth, he says, For though we walk in the flesh... We are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy 
strongholds. What are the strongholds? Those are the traps, right? Those are the traps of the enemy that when you step into it, it grasps a hold of you. And you need a force stronger than you, Jesus, to break you out of that, right? Verse 5, he says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. In other words, we do not fight with our power. We fight with Christ's power. We fight with divine power. Another way, let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples together and he gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease. There's a distinction I want to make for you. I'm just going to teach the Bible a little bit, okay? And there's, there's this distinction that you need to see. It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples together, and he gave them authority. What it does not say, Justin, is that Jesus gave them power to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease. It's hot, y'all. I'm sorry. I know y'all are shivering, but I'm sweating, okay? So what does it mean that Jesus gave us authority and not power? Well, first and foremost, Jesus did give us power in the form of the Holy Spirit. When he sent, In Acts chapter 2, we can read about how the Holy Spirit descended on the apostles, gathered in the upper room, and they spoke in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave utterance. Now, the purpose for the receiving of, of the Holy Spirit wasn't to cast out devils. The purpose of receiving the Holy Spirit was to share the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, uh, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's why we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, to share the gospel. We have not been given power to cast out evil spirits and, and, and to cast out demons. But we have been given authority. What does that mean? What's the difference? Well, let me say it like this. A police officer does not have the power to stop a car. They can stand in front of it, but if that driver wants to keep on going, I mean, I know there's some Fast and Furious movies that kind of disagree with this philosophy, but for the sake of our argument, let's just roll with this. They can stand in front of it. They can push against it with all their might, but if the driver of that car wants to go, they can go anyway because the police officer does not have the power to stop a car, but a police officer does have the authority to stop a car. And the reason why they have the authority is because they have dedicated their life to serve and protect under a local municipal government system that has entrusted to them the authority to enforce the law in their local area. Now, what does it mean to have authority in Jesus? Well, you guys got a little bit. Okay, so Jesus has this conversation with this man. It's super interesting. This man, who was a Roman centurion, comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I have a servant who is sick. I need him to be healed. Will you heal him? Jesus says, yes, I will heal him. Let's go over to your house right now. The Roman centurion looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, I'm not even worthy that you come to my house. Don't come over to my house because I'm a man under authority and I have authority. I say to this person, go, and they go. I say to this person, come, and they come. Because I understand authority, I I know you have authority. So Jesus, I am positive that you have authority over sickness, over death, over, over illness. So if Jesus, if you just speak the word, the thing that, you're over, that you have authority over will have to obey you. And Jesus said, you're right. And he looked at his 12 Jewish disciples. And then he looked back at this Gentile Roman centurion. And he looks back again at his 12 Jewish disciples. And he tells them, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. What does that mean? Why are you telling me that? If you want to have authority, you have to place yourself under authority. That's what it means. This man understood authority. And so he said to Jesus, Jesus, I know you've got authority, so just speak the word. Because when you say the word, it will obey you. Just like when I say the word to this person, they obey me. 
The only way we can have authority over the demonic and darkness in our world, in our life, is if we place ourselves under the authority of Christ. Sometimes the authority of Christ looks like placing yourself under the authority of a pastor, too. Let me just, let me just walk through that, right? There's like umbrellas of authority, right? Jesus is at the top, but you keep working your way down. There's, you, you, listen, can I just tell you right now that I don't, I, I don't believe the Lord is pleased with you or will answer your prayer. I'm just going to go out and say, I, I, I'm, I think that the Lord would struggle to answer your prayers if you disrespect your boss at work, even if they're not a believer in Christ. Oh, well, you don't know who they are. I don't know who they are, but I know who you are. You've been called, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You're supposed to be different than people of this world. You're the kind of person that people want working for them because you work harder, you go further, you're honest, you're a person of integrity. You're not the kind of guy that talks bad about them in the break room. Okay, I'm, I'm getting in the weeds. Let me get out. Are you, are you guys still okay? And so... It all boils down to this. For most of us in the room, this is the devil's goal. To distract us with our everyday problems, with our everyday difficulties, with our everyday life so much that we never experience everyday miracles. Because we're so distracted with trying to get through that we don't live as a victor. That we don't live as an overcomer. That we forget that we've been given authority over all the powers of evil in the name of Jesus. So to sum it up here, don't assume every problem is a result of demonic influence. But don't, dis, don't assume any problem isn't the result of demonic influence. So, so practically speaking, what does this look like? Let's say today you're battling anxiety. That's, that's like the number one diagnosis in doctor's offices today. Let's say today you're battling anxiety. Go, go see a therapist. Take medication even. But also pray in the name of Jesus for complete healing. Because who knows? It might have more to do with the demonic than you realize. I'm not saying it does. Uh, hear my heart. I'm not saying it does. But I'm saying it could be. If you're depressed, go see a counselor and pray for supernatural deliverance. If, if, you're, if your child is struggling, if they're going through a rebellious season, if they're, if they're dealing with things, administer proper discipline, administer proper love, read a parenting book or ten, right? Right? Get some help. And then ask God to protect their heart and mind. If you're battling addiction today, if you're battling an addiction to pills or drugs or alcoholism, go to a support group and believe God for spiritual victory. If you're, if you're sick, if you've got a headache, if you've got a backache, if you've got a whatever, go to the doctor, take some medicine. I take Allegra every day in the name of Jesus, right? I take it every day and I ask God to demolish the allergies that affect me in the supernatural name of Jesus, right? So you do what you can do and you trust God to do what you can't do. That's how we live. Yeah, I'm going to do what I can do, but I'm also going to believe that God will do what I can't do. That he will go further. And, and, and so, as I try to land this plane here, I used to be absolutely and utterly terrified of the devil. I'm talking like, well, I'll just tell you the story. Five years old. 
my aunt comes against me. She's like, hey, we're going to go to this church thing. It wasn't a church thing, though. It was at a big theater. And if any of you have ever seen a Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames, Hell's Flames performance, it was kind of like that. I don't see those a lot anymore, and I'm not mad about that. <laughs> it was kind of like that, except it was bigger. It was on a bigger stage. And so I'm five, maybe six years old, and I go to this event with my aunt, and I'm sitting there. It's just me and her. She drove me in her van. She had a conversion van, and it had, like, the TV in the back and all that stuff with a VCR. It was, it was a big deal. And so I'm sitting there watching this, and there's a guy dressed up as the devil. But, I mean, like, he is full-blown full body paint. He had, like, a Texas Longhorns thing on top of his head. I'm ta I mean, and, like, I don't remember what the scene was, but, but he came out in the crowd. And started grabbing people. What's your name? Johnny. He started grabbing people. And he would take them. I'm not going to take you for real long. He was like, oh, I ain't going with you, bro. It's good to meet I'm Drew. He's like, uh-uh, uh-uh. I belong to the devil. And, they, and he would grab them and he would take them. And there was this place over there on the side. And he would throw them in hell. And I, I sat there. I'm talking like white knuckling like I, I, I just knew that guy was going to come grab me I, I just knew that I was going to hell I just knew I just knew and all these things were happening so we're riding home that evening or that night and I'm in the back of that van and the static is on that little TV because it couldn't pick up any channels right unless you had a VCR tape or VHS tape and I'm like I'm looking at the, the snow and the static and I'm like I see the devil's face right there. The next day, I got to take a shower, and, I, and, and I'm, I'm washing my hair, and I got shampoo all in my hair, and, and, I, and I close my eyes, and I'm like, I bet he's back. So I open my eyes, and for the next 13 years, I wash my hair with my eyes open every day. That's why I can't see good today. I got shampoo burns all up in my eyeballs. I mean, I'm being funny, but I'm also being 100% sincere. Petrified of the devil. Even after becoming a Christian, like, it wasn't like the, the, the switch flipped and I didn't worry about it anymore. Here's the deal. The devil, the demons, they're real, and they do want to destroy you. The world knows they're real. It's about time the church stopped acting like it wasn't real. They want to steal, kill, and destroy. Some of you today are afflicted with demonic influence. There's problems that you're facing, things that you're going through, battles that you're fighting, and it's a result of, of possibly sin, very possibly demonic influence. But I want you to know something, and I want you to hear something. Number one, you don't have to be afraid. The, the devil and God are not equals. A lot of people think they are. They think they're like on equal ground and there's like this huge battle going on between heaven and hell, God and the devil. No, like he's a nobody compared to who he is. He said, I will be like the most high and God dumped him with his finger and said, get out of here, you idiot. I ain't got no time for people like you. You don't have to be afraid. 
And if you belong to Jesus, not only do you not have to be afraid, my God, he's afraid of you. He, he, when your feet hit the ground in the morning, he said, oh man, there goes Joe again. Man, crap, I was hoping he would stay home today. Now I got to deal with him going out and driving out darkness wherever he goes. Oh, there's Adam. Gosh, I hope he wouldn't go to work today. Not only is he going to put out literal fires, but he's going to put out the fires of hell that I've lit off. Oh, there's Holly again. Oh, crap. She got up again this morning. I thought she was going to sleep in. I thought she was going to stay home. I thought she was going to skip church, but she got up and, man, she's ruining all my plans and he's throwing a fit like, like a little idiot kid, right? Not your, any of your kids. Like a little spoiled brat child. Because that's all he is. And so we don't make him a bigger deal than he is. And we don't belittle it. We understand there's a fight. But our weapons are not of flesh and blood. God, my God, we have divine powers. Come on, stand to your feet. Listen, I want to be a man of God. That when my feet hit the ground. His day just got a lot worse. Not just because of the influence he doesn't have in my life, but because of the influence I have in this world. Because I walk in the light, because you walk in the light. And where I go, darkness can't stay there anymore. Evil can't stay there anymore. Demonic influence can't stay there. I pray that God would, would give us a spiritual discernment like we've never had before. That when we encounter demonic activity or influence, that we, as we are empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we have been given the delegated authority by Jesus himself to drive out demonic powers, that when we encounter it, we would know it. We would, our, our, our beacons or so whatever you want to call them would light up. And that we, with the authority that's been given to us, not some Hollywood show uh, garbage, but as men and women of God, that we would just do what Jesus does. Devil, you can't stay there no more. I'm sorry, you got to go. He's gone. No, no, no mumbo jumbo, no dramatics. No, no, no. I take authority over this. Not power, but I take authority over this because I live under his authority, so I have authority over this. I take authority over this in the name of Jesus. You can't stay there some of you need to put your hand on your heart, hand on your body. Right, You need to lay it. Come on, do it right now. And there's something in your life, anxiety, depression, addiction, sin, temptation. It's time to stop asking God to do it for you. And it's time to start declaring it over your life. I take authority that this addiction has no power over me. I take authority over this influence. It has no power over me. I take authority over this sickness. It has no power over me. Be healed. Body, be healed. You got to talk to your own body. Be healed. Some of you need to go home and lay your hands on your kids. And you say, in the name of Jesus, the power of darkness does not reign here. In the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, peace and joy is the only thing that, that reigns here. So we got men and women on each side of the stage right now. Today, if you are struggling in any of the areas that I've mentioned, or maybe some that I failed to mention, and you want freedom, you want deliverance, you want healing, you want to experience the supernatural work of God in your own body, and you want to come into the authority of Jesus, that's you, if that's your prayer, if that's your heart, I invite you now to come to this altar. Find one of these men and women gathered around here and let them pray with you. 